The scriptures tell us that God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the bone and marrow. At First Covenant Church, we believe that God actively speaks to us through the reading of his word. With this in mind, please turn in your Bibles to John 1, 1 through 5, and John 8, 12, or follow along on the screens behind me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Will you pray with me? Lord our God, in the reading and proclamation of your word, we pray you will open our minds and hearts so that we may hear and understand your word. Know and live according to your word, and become living letters of your word, equipped to follow Jesus in every part of our lives, by the power of your Holy Spirit, through Christ our Lord, the living word. Amen. Merry Christmas week. The light of the world is here. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, one of the, the favorite things that I like to do with my family is celebrate Christmas with lights. Um, when we, I think we all use lights in our celebration, and so I thought maybe it would be helpful to, to think about uh, lights and Christmas and maybe some puns or dad jokes, as you might call them, to start things off with. Uh, you might be hanging out with your kids, especially if they're younger part of Gen Z, and they might say, hey, that house is lit. Yeah. Or they might say, those decorations are tremendous. Or they might say, I'm dreaming of a bright Christmas instead of a white Christmas. Or they might say, lighten up, it's Christmas. I like this one. It's ornamentary, my dear Watson. (laughs) Or I love Christmas a whole lot. And finally... Are these lights real, or are they just a filament of my imagination? (laughs) My family had two two traditions uh, growing up, uh, and uh, and have carried on into our uh, adult life and things. One is to decorate our house for Christmas. Love to decorate and celebrate uh, with lights, especially. You maybe uh, probably do the same thing. The first thing we do, though, is we, we put lights around our Christmas tree, and they have to be, for, in our house, the, the different colored lights on the tree. That's um, just the rule. Um, so, but like this tree over here, we just put these trees. We put lights on them to celebrate. Maybe uh, we, we also like to use a Sensi. Um, if you're a Sensi dealer, this is a little plug for you. Um, <laughs> it's got the light that glows, and it creates uh, this awesome aroma. And we have a fake tree, so it's really helpful to throw like some evergreen scent in there to kind of help bring the scent to the house of, of, the, 
of Evergreen. Uh, we love to light candles at Christmas time. We put them all over our house, and maybe you do as well, uh, and, and build fires in our fireplaces. Ours doesn't really work, so we put candles in it, but maybe you have a real fire in your fireplace. Snuggle up around that to open presents or watch Christmas movies or whatever you do. But in, in our house, at least, we love to use lights to celebrate Christmas. And then the second thing that we love to do is to drive around and look at all the Christmas lights around town. When I was a kid, when, growing up in, in Minnesota, we wouldn't really do that, but uh, necessarily a little bit. But when, when we would go visit my grandma in Ponca City, Oklahoma, uh, every year we, we, we did that. Uh, when we were there, we would go drive around town and look at all the incredible light displays. And for a little town like Ponca City, there was some pretty amazing light shows. And I was just incredible to see the, just the wonder of all of the lights and the decorations. And then when we lived in McPherson uh, and our kids were little, we would throw them in their uh, PJs, make some hot cocoa, throw it in a mug, uh, hop in the car, and we would go drive around town and look at all the Christmas lights. It was such a great thing to do with our, our, when our kids were little as a family. We still do it today. And we would, we would end with, uh, with this one house. It was the epic house that had the best Christmas display. It was one of those first houses that had Christmas lights timed to carols. Uh, and Christmas music. And so you drive up, you tune your radio station, you get the music, and then you see the light show timed to it. And we could sit there for like an hour and just watch, uh, watch this, these incredible light shows. Lights are an integral part of celebrating Christmas. They're a huge part of our celebration. Well, why? Why do we decorate with lights so much? It's not like we don't already have lights in our homes and on our streets. It's not like we need them. It's, it's not to like make our house look better than our neighbors. Maybe that is, I guess, if, depending if you're watching a Christmas movie of some sort or another. And it's certainly not, at least not in my case, certainly not because we just happened to like using and paying for more electricity. That electric bill is not going to be so fun, right? No, we decorate with lights for two reasons. Things that, these two things happen simultaneously at the same time. One reason is that at the, uh, it reminds us of, that Jesus is the light of the world. And at the same time, it proclaims to the world around us that Jesus is the light of the world. It's reminding us and it's reflecting out the reality that Jesus is the light of the world. That he is here, that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us, our incredible gift of life. We celebrate Jesus' birth at Christmas, obviously, and then at Easter time we celebrate his, uh, we remember his death and we celebrate his resurrection. Between those two moments in Jesus' life, which was for him a number of years, for us it's a few months, there's this incredible moment where we get our understanding of what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. It's this incredible moment in John 8, 12 that we're going to look at today, where Jesus identifies himself as the light of the world. He claims that identity. He literally brings this image to life when he says, he's, he's in the temple and he's speaking, uh, teaching, and he says, I am the light of the world Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will never have, will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 
Jesus chooses this moment to say these words very specifically, very strategically, and very intentionally. It was not just some random teaching uh, that he was just kind of like walking by and being like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm the light of the world. It wasn't like that at all. This is a very specific time and context into which Jesus says these words. You see, Israel was in the midst of this celebration called the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was this uh, kind of uh, festival of lights, if you will. We call Christmas kind of a festival of lights. This was their way, uh, the, the Israelites, of celebrating the exodus. And so this festival, this celebration, it reminded the Israelites of a few things. And it celebrated a few things. First, it reminded them of the, the reality that their ancestors who went through the desert from Egypt to the promised land had to sleep in tents or tabernacles, as they called them. They, they didn't have permanent residences. And so it was a way to remember that reality, even on their way from Egypt to the promised land. And then the 40 years in the wilderness, they were living in tents. This celebration was a celebration of deliverance from captivity in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. And it reminded the Israelites of God's guidance through the wilderness as, as God appeared as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This feast, this Feast of Tabernacles, was celebrated for seven or eight days straight and, and, and they would take, if there was a Sabbath in the middle, they would take that off, of course. But each evening of the, of the festival, of the feast, at dusk, they would all gather in the court of women in the temple to light these massive golden lamps. Now, I want you to think about the Olympics for a moment. The, the opening ceremonies of the Olympics involve the lighting of the cauldron, right? Theoretically, the flame is traveling around the world somewhere now until the next Olympics. And at the Olympics opening ceremony, the flame comes into the stadium and they take it to wherever the cauldron is and they, they light it. One time it was shot by a flaming arrow. Sometimes it's a conveyor belt that carries fire. Whatever it is, that cauldron, though, is massive. It's huge. It's like 20 feet or 30 feet tall. I don't even know how big it is, but it's massive. That's the idea that we get from this festival, except there was four of them. Four huge towers, golden towers, and on top of each one of the towers were four golden basins filled with oil. And they would light those, and that would light up the entire city of Jerusalem. Now, this is interesting. The wicks for those lamps, for these uh, that would go into the oil, were made from used undergarments of the priests. So if you think recycling is a new thing... Uh, <laughs> There's a lesson here. Once these lamps or these, these torches, these cauldrons were lit, it's said that the city, that there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that was not lit up at night by these incredibly bright lamps. And there was pomp and circumstance. There was music and, and singing and dancing that would last all night long, each night of the festival. And it was just a humongous party and celebration, celebrating who God was, his faithfulness, and celebrating in this festival of lights, God's guidance through the wilderness. It's at this specific time, in the midst of this festival of light, when Jesus strategically says to the people that he's teaching in the temple, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So hopefully you can pick up on the significance 
of Jesus making this claim in this point, at this point in time. Obviously, the religious leaders maybe weren't so happy with that, which chapter 8 reflects uh, throughout the rest of that chapter. Commentary author Gary Burge puts it this way. He says, imagine the scene in the very court where the lighting ceremony takes place. Jesus stands beneath 16 lit bowls of oil. And it says this, he not only claims that he is the light of Jerusalem, but he claims that he is the light of the entire world. That's incredible. And Jesus uses the imagery of this festival to reveal his identity as the light of the world and also his mission to bring life to all people. Jesus did not become the light of the world that day. He was the light of the world all along. This was the day that Jesus chose to publicly declare it. He literally brought life to the image of himself as the light of the world. No more pillars of clouds were needed or pillars of fire were needed or anything else to guide us to God. We have Jesus. All we have to do is follow him because he is the light. It's a theologian named Hans Konzelman, and he said that light is Yahweh in action. Think about that. Light is Yahweh in action. And indeed, throughout Scripture, from, from creation, the creation narrative to the Exodus narrative, uh, all the way through, any time that there is uh, a discussion about light, man, God, it, it represents God working on something, God at work in our midst, God doing something important. In Jesus, we see the light at work. We see God's work of redemption and salvation. Because of sin, we're broken and we live in darkness and we need the light of Christ, of Jesus. We need it. We can't live without it. There was a time in my life when I was in college when I experienced life without the light of Christ. And it wasn't intentional. It wasn't like I turned my back on God. In fact, it was quite the opposite. Um, I went to a Christian college and, uh, and jumped right into Bible classes and uh, Bible studies and, and chapel services and worship services. Um, and all of these awesome things it was so great to be part of this Christian community. It was like this utopia. I was like, this is like the best thing on this side of heaven. Because uh, everything was focused on and talking about Jesus. It was about two weeks into that, that time, my time in my freshman year of college, and all of a sudden it was like somebody just turned the faucet off on my relationship with God. It was just went dark. It went black. And I was thrown for a loop. I had no idea what was going on. I was kind of literally reeling back from this new experience. I was like, what in the world is going on? And, and so over the, the, the first few days, I started asking God what, that question, what, what's going on? Why is this happening? Why am I not able to sense you, feel you, hear you, think you, that you even exist? And I started questioning everything. Was everything that, that I learned and, and about God real? Or was it all a hoax? Was it all fake? I had no idea what to think at this point. Literally everything I thought I knew uh, that was right seemed wrong. Totally threw me for a loop. And I was so lost and just kind of helpless. After about a week... I, I was desperate and I was praying and I was just like, God, I don't know what you're doing, but, but why? Why is this happening to me? What is going on? And it was a, that, that night I was laying in bed and God gave me this image of a kitten or a cat 
holding its kitten by the back of the neck. You know how a mother cat or a mother dog will carry their pup by the, by the scruff of the neck? God gave me this image that he was holding me by my collar, by the back of my neck, and he was holding me away from himself so that I could see what the world was like without him, without the light of Christ, so that I could see what the depression and the despair and the anxiety looked like. And it scared me to pieces. It was not fun in that, those moments. It was dark, and I was freaked out. But at least I knew why. And I said, okay, you can turn me back to yourself now. I'm good. This is great. Thanks, God. I learned my lesson. Okay, I will. Uh, uh, yeah. And God was like, not yet. I was like, what? And he kept me that way for another week of just sitting in that, wrestling with that, having to, to just un- learn to understand and comprehend what that would be like to live without the light of Christ. And, I'm, and eventually, at the end of that two weeks, he did uh, kind of let that go and release that. And, and, and the, the incredible thing was that as, as that darkness faded, as his presence came back and he allowed me to kind of be back in his presence again, however you want to articulate that, his presence, the light just enveloped me and, and dispersed the darkness. It was incredible. And all of a sudden I felt joy and peace and hope again. And, uh, and I, was, I knew that it was going to be okay which is great. But that, uh, that was scary. And it was, an incre- it was an example to me of the darkness in our world and the power of Jesus as the light of Christ, as the light of the world. And it's real. It's a real thing. For me, that's partly why I'm in ministry and doing ministries because the world needs to know the light of Christ is real and that there is hope and we don't have to stay stuck in the darkness. I am so grateful that as difficult as that was in my life, that I get to stand here today and give testimony that Jesus is our light, that he is the light that cuts through the darkness, that he reaches out and rescues us, that he is our beacon, our guide, our shepherd. He is our joy, our hope, and our peace. I don't know what you're going through in your life. Maybe you're living in that darkness, in a dark place. Maybe you've never experienced the light of Christ in your life. And I want to tell you, I've been there, I've seen that, and it's, I know it's scary and it's difficult. And, and if you, I want to invite you to change, make a change today and to step into the light, to step out of darkness. The second half of, of our verse for today, John 8, 12, says, Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Literally, we just turn and follow Jesus. We repent, turn away from our sin, and Jesus will lead us out of the darkness. And so there'll be some folks at the end of the hallway over here to the right at our prayer station. And if you today would like to talk with someone about making that decision, I encourage you to visit them at, after the service. I wonder what God's up to in your life. God's up to something. See, there's light. And if you have the light of Christ, if, if, if light is the action of Yahweh, is Yahweh at work, then you have the light of Christ and God's at work doing something. And that means you have a story to tell. You have a testimony to give. And we are called to, to reflect what God is doing. His glory not, is not meant just to stick in us, but it's meant to be reflected to the world around us. And so as you think about uh, what God is doing, I, I want to encourage you to do two things. The first 
is to think about in this season of kind of rest and break, maybe you've taken some vacation time or you're off of school and your teams aren't practicing, to think about who, could, who needs to hear about the light of Christ right now. When we go back to work or school or back to our teams or whatever it is, who needs to hear a testimony, a story about God at work? Who needs to hear about the light of Christ? And then secondly, today even, I want to encourage you, as you eat a meal together as a family around lunch or dinner, to share what God is doing in your life right now. To share a story of Him at work. One thing that He's teaching you or equipping you with or calling you to or one thing He's working on inside of you because of this. In Matthew 5.14, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. That's incredible. He is the light of the world, but he gives us his light and we are called to reflect it out. And so our stories are important. Our testimonies are important and they need to be shared because they're an encouragement to those around us who maybe are in one of those dark places. They're beacons of hope to come out of the darkness into the light. We have the light of Jesus. We must not hide it. We must Share it, especially in light of Christmas.